I, uh, I want to thank you so much um, for inviting me to, to preach here at Burlington uh, this morning. Um, because as uh, Simon indicated earlier, Pauline and I feel a connection with you as a church, as uh, our daughter Nicola and her hu- husband Gavin worshipped here uh, when Nicola was uh, working for CYM uh, a few years ago. And I know also that uh, you prayed for them when their premature twins were born out in Australia. Uh, and it was a tough time, and it was touch and go for a time as to whether these two little ones would make it. But they did. And uh, so many people had been praying all around the world for them. And we are absolutely thrilled that uh, Adam and Abby are now doing really well. They've just uh, recently had their third birthdays. They're attending preschool playgroup and enjoying it very much. Uh, Abby especially just talks incessantly. She's getting a Belfast accent now. And uh, they're so full of life and uh, good health. The hospital reports they get are really good, and um, we're so thrilled about that. And we want to thank you so much. And when Nick and Gavin heard that we were coming today, they just said, make sure that you tell the Church of Burlington how much we appreciate uh, all that you did when you prayed uh, for us. I want to thank you also for the theme that you've given me to preach on this morning. I'll let you into a secret. One of the things that we uh, preachers dread when we're asked to visit a church is to be told what to preach on. Uh, we much prefer to dig out and reheat one of our best sermons. But you've given me a great subject this morning because as part of uh, the series that you're doing, uh, you've asked me to preach on the resurrection of Jesus and the new beginnings that this great world-changing event brought about. What a theme for us this morning. And to me, it really is all summed up in these few verses from John chapter 20 that we read a few minutes ago. I wonder if you can imagine what it was like in the upper room that night. Followers of Jesus were gathered there. There was a strange atmosphere No doubt they were in little huddles, talking in hushed voices. They had been through the most awesome roller coaster of emotions. Just a week ago that day, they had been part of a great crowd welcoming Jesus into the city. And they must have thought, this is it. Our moment of triumph, our dreams are coming true. Jesus is coming to claim the throne and establish a new kingdom just a week ago. But within days, it had all crumbled. They probably met in that same upper room and heard Jesus telling them, I'm going to die. They'd gone with him to Gethsemane, seen him brutally arrested and taken away, and some of them had run for their lives. One of them had betrayed Jesus. Another had denied him. One had watched him die the most cruel of deaths. And now he was gone. Their hopes had been dashed. It was finished. The dream was over. It was a nightmare now. But today, something had happened. 
One of the women had come back with an amazing story claiming to have seen Jesus alive. Was she mad? Was she hallucinating? People don't recover from crucifixion. But then two of them had gone to see for themselves and they came back saying, the tomb's empty. But we didn't see Jesus. Maybe he's been moved. Maybe he's been shifted. Maybe even we went to the wrong place. And so they gather and in the room there's a sense of fear and the doors are locked just in case. No one could get in or out without anyone and everyone knowing. Suddenly the room falls silent. He was there. In the room. Unmistakably, Jesus. Not dead, but alive. And that moment was a moment for new beginnings with Jesus. And we discover that in these moments when Jesus came in his resurrection power, He spoke to them of four new beginnings. New beginnings that would carry on into what we read in the book of Acts and into history, and new beginnings that are still there for us 2,000 years later in Burlington Baptist Church this October Sunday morning. What are the four new beginnings? One, he gives them new beginnings in peace. I wonder if a smile came on the lips of Jesus as he looked at their faces when he appeared among them. He senses the anxiety in their hearts. He feels the confusion in their minds, the looks on their faces, and they're thinking, what on earth is happening? And so his first words, and he repeats them later, are, peace be with you. Let me ask you a question this morning. What things can we be certain that we want God, that, that, that God wants for us, that we want as well? There are some things this morning we can't be sure of. We can't be sure that God wants us to be rich. We can't be sure that God wants us to be married or to have children or to be famous or to have perfect health or to live to an old age. But we can be sure, listen, We can be sure that God wants us to be forgiven. He wants us to have salvation. And because of these things, forgiveness and salvation, He wants us to be sure that we have peace. And the fact is, in our modern world, that peace is elusive. If peace is simply the absence of conflict, someone has calculated that in over 3,000 years of recorded history, The world has only been at peace for 8% of the time. That in these years, 8,000 peace treaties have been signed and broken, each lasting for no more than two years. Peace is not easy to find. But the peace that Jesus offers to his disciples in their new beginnings in that room, as he comes to them in his risen power, is more than just an absence of conflict. It's a sense of well-being. Simon used the word shalom when he was praying for the young people. Serenity, sometimes in the midst of turmoil. I wonder if you've heard of or seen a very famous painting 
Don't know who it was by. But if you can imagine the painting, it's of this raging waterfall. And the artist managed to create the impression of the roar and the tumult of the water as it cascades over the rocks down to the pools below. And at the bottom of the waterfall, on the bank, there's a tree. And uh, on the tree, there's a branch that reaches out over the water as it's cascading down. And at the very end of the branch, there's a bird. And the bird is obviously singing right in the midst, right at the edge of this tumult of roaring water. And the title of the picture is Peace. And I want you to notice something here. It's so important. In this new beginning in peace, it's not something you have to strive for or work for. The peace is a gift from Jesus. The disciples may in that moment have just remembered that in that same upper room just a few days ago, Jesus had said this to them, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And I wonder this morning if you need a new beginning in peace. If so, can I ask, and this sounds a bit glib, but I just want to say it to you. Just take it as a gift. He doesn't offer you an absence of trouble or pain, but he does offer you a new beginning in peace. In the midst of it all, in the resurrection, there's a new beginning in peace. Isn't that great? Secondly, there's a new beginning in joy. John says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I reckon that is one of the great understatements of the Bible. I remember hearing the evangelist Eric Delve preaching on this passage some years ago at Spring Harvest. And in his own inimitable way, he put it like this, and I hope you in Burlington will not be offended at what I'm about to say. This, I'm quoting what this evangelist has said. He said, Overjoyed, they were flipping ecstatic. Wouldn't you have been? You've been so distraught, despondent, overcome with grief, devastated that Jesus has been taken from you. You'd invested three years of your life in him. You really believed he was the answer to your deepest needs. You thought everything would change, but he's gone, crucified, dead, buried. It's over. Your prospect now is to go back home to Galilee, become a laughingstock, take up your old job again, live life full of regrets. But now Jesus is here. He's not dead. He was, but he isn't anymore. He's risen, and so it's all just beginning. Wouldn't you be ecstatic? Wouldn't you just let out a whoop and a holler? Wouldn't you be grinning from ear to ear? Too right you would. And do you know what? That's still a new beginning that Jesus offers today. You ever been paid an unexpected compliment? Remember many years ago, our oldest daughter was in her mid-teens. We had a meeting of people from the church in our house for some reason, can't remember what it was about. And Jackie happened to be there. And someone said to her, isn't it really difficult being the daughter of the pastor? 
You know, pastor's children have a tough time. Isn't it really difficult? And I always remember what Jackie said. She looked at them and she said, it's not difficult because mom and dad have made following Jesus fun. That to me was one of the greatest compliments we've ever been paid. Why is it that the picture of this Christian life that is so often portrayed is that it's so very, very dull. And those who follow Jesus are miserable. There's a writer that I found helpful in the very early years of my ministry and still refer to him today, a German called Helmut Tillichy, and he said this. It's a bit old-fashioned, but please listen. Should we not see that lines of laughter about the eyes are just as much marks of faith as are lines of care and seriousness. Is it only earnestness that's baptized? Is laughter pagan? We have already allowed too much that is good to be lost to the church and cast many pearls before swine. A church is in a bad way when it banishes laughter from the sanctuary and leaves it to the cabaret, the nightclub, and the bar. Of course, it's not just about being happy, clappy, but the fact is, because of what Jesus has achieved in his resurrection, there is no reason for us to go around with miserable looks and joyless attitudes. Go out from here this morning with a smile. Because Jesus says, you've got a new beginning. Enjoy. The third new beginning is a new beginning in purpose. Having offered them peace and joy, Jesus now gives them a further new beginning. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Think about it. How did the Father send Jesus? He sent him because there was a need. He sent him because he loved a broken world. He sent him knowing that it would not be easy. He sent him because Jesus was willing to leave the glory of heaven and go. He sent him because he knew he could trust his son. He sent him with a clear purpose. And he sent him knowing that he would fulfill that purpose right to the end. That's how the Father sent Jesus. And I tell you this morning, that is how Jesus sends us as his people and his church to share the good news. He sends us because there's a need in our broken world and in our broken communities that we were hearing about a few minutes ago. He sends us because God loves those people. He sends us knowing that it won't be easy. But he sends us trusting us to be Jesus, as was said, to fulfill his purpose right to the end. As I look back on our 29 years at Shoebury, and before that, 11 years in, in Scotland, I realize that church life can sometimes be complicated. And it's so easy to get sidetracked into issues that don't really matter, isn't it? 
And as I reflect, I realize that whatever legacy I have left in these two places, they can only be measured on how well I fulfilled this commission of Jesus. And over those years, there developed more and more in my heart a burning desire, very simply, one more for Jesus. One more for Jesus. One more for Jesus. Recently, Steve Jobs, who was one of the founders of Apple Computers, uh, apparently one day he tried to recruit John Scully, who was the president of Pepsi-Cola. And this is what he said to him. Listen. John Scully, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water? Or do you want a chance to change the world? What is your priority this morning? What's the priority of Burlington Baptist Church in the light of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus, following in the footsteps of those in the book of Acts? Could it be possible, I can say this to you because I don't really know you, is it possible that you're in danger sometimes of majoring on the minor and missing out on the major? There's a community out there and there's a world out there that needs to know that Jesus has risen and that he can still change lives as he did with those frightened people in that upper room. As the Father sent Jesus, he has sent me. And he's sending you, and those of you who are going out to Romania, he's sending you to tell people of a possible new beginning. Are you fulfilling that purpose? Is there in your heart a desire? One more for Jesus. And then finally, the fourth new beginning is a new beginning in power. If you're like me, you actually find what I've just said quite daunting. Sending, uh, being sent out by Jesus as the Father sent him. And I just love the way Jesus continually anticipates things. And I can imagine that when he told them he was sending them as the Father sent him, he was sending them out of that safety of that room with the locked doors, out into a hostile world, he would see the looks of fear in their eyes. And the sense of inadequacy etched on their faces, the expressions of doubt about to emanate from their lips. They're thinking, we can't do it, Jesus. We aren't educated, we're not trained, we're not eloquent, we're not knowledgeable, we don't know our Bibles that well, we have so many other things to do, we're just ordinary human beings. All kinds of objections, but Jesus anticipates them. And so he does something and he says something. Did you notice it? What does he do? He breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And when he does that, what is he doing? He's giving them a new beginning in power. And I want you to notice two things about this as we finish, just very quickly. Of course they couldn't do this in their own strength. These people couldn't transform the world. They couldn't change the course of history with their own resources. They don't have to. Because Jesus 
is giving them the power and the resources they need in the person of the Holy Spirit who has now been breathed into them. And this morning, Burlington Baptist Church, you can't do it either in your own strength. You'll fail, but you too can have this new beginning in power. How it must grieve God when Christians argue and fall out over the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Don't you agree? How it must sadden God when Christians are afraid of the Holy Spirit. How it must frustrate God when Christians become defensive and don't allow ourselves to open, to be open to all the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. How it must grieve God when we quench the Spirit, when in fact we need Him to fulfill the purpose of reaching and winning people for Jesus. If I am to fulfill God's purpose and have this new beginning of power, I cannot afford to ignore my need of the Holy Spirit to be breathed into me, and neither can you. But secondly, notice how the Spirit was given to them here. We sometimes imagine, don't we, that the Holy Spirit wasn't given to the disciples until the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the church was launched into history. But in fact, they received the Holy Spirit on Resurrection Day, when Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So what does this tell us? It tells me that on this day, Resurrection Day, the day of new beginnings, they received the Holy Spirit. They received the resource. They received the potential. But then there had to come a point when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that was Acts chapter 2. The moment you become a Christian, that happy day that we sang about earlier, the moment you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is breathed into you. But to fulfill God's purpose, there needs to be times after that, and there may be many times when you're filled and filled and refilled and filled again with the Holy Spirit, that the power that is within you can be released. And this morning I wonder if there are people here in Burlington Baptist and your real need is for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Because if you're honest, your Christian witness has become weak and ineffective. These disciples have a new beginning in power. But listen, it's only a beginning. There is so much more to come as we read through the book of Acts and see how the world was turned upside down by these frightened people in that upper room who met with the risen Christ. And so Jesus meets with his disciples on the night of his resurrection, the greatest event, the greatest day in history. It's a time for them of new beginnings. New beginnings in peace, the gift of Jesus to them. New beginnings in joy, ecstatic because Christ had risen. New beginnings in purpose, as the Father sent Jesus, he is sending them. And new beginnings in power, 
They receive the Holy Spirit. And from the confined space of that room, armed with their new beginnings, these disciples went out and they changed the world. The church was launched into history, and people of all generations since, including ours, have reaped the benefits found in knowing and following Jesus. The resurrection brings a day of new beginnings. What more could we ask for? Peace, joy, purpose, and power. Burlington Baptist, live in the light of them. And may you be the church God wants you to be as you reach one more for Jesus.